2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The market did it again, darn it. We roared at the opening. Dow rallying more than 450 points from the get-go because this morning's Consumer Price Index number came in soft enough to illustrate that inflation is finally running out of steam. So when the CPI came in around 3%, way down from where it was before, we all cheered. Many people bought stocks. Everything's fine, right? Wrong. That rally was a totally revolting development. Sure enough, the average spent the rest of the session selling off, Dow finishing up just 53 points, while S&P advanced minor 0.03%, NASDAQ edged up 0.12%. A far cry from that overheated opening. There's so many reasons why it was a mistake to buy stocks at a strength this morning, and because I've been spending this whole week teaching you how to avoid the kind of mistakes that make you, make you give up on the entire stock market. We're going to unpack this one. Unpack it. Good. Mistake number one, the vast majority of people who follow the stock market closely were predicting that the consumer price index will be up around 3.3 percent. It's actually up 3.2 percent. Take note, when most prognosticators predict 3.3 percent inflation and you get 3.2 percent inflation, guess what? It's not a surprise. And you don't buy stocks aggressively on a data point that's not a surprise. That's right. Never buy into a phony surprise that the media hypes up for a faux bit of excitement. You will most likely lose money. Second mistake. If you buy stocks on this kind of bogosity, will you please use limit orders? Don't use market orders. Pick a price that you're willing to pay and put the order in using that limit. If you use a market order, you're at the mercy of your broker, and it's like the clowns who buy the stock futures with reckless abandon. Well, they will end up causing you to get a crummy price, probably the highest price of the day. Those who did it, you know you did. You did what we call top-ticking. You can bet that almost every single person who used a market order to buy a stock this very morning is now down on those trades, and they probably want to sell everything and give up on stocks because they're so mad at themselves for paying up. Market orders put you at the mercy of an unmerciful market. Stick with limit orders, and you won't wind up radically overpaying for stocks. You might miss them, but that's okay. I don't want you doing this. And then throwing your stocks away. Third mistake. Instead of buying an up opening like today, maybe you should think a little. Maybe you use these moments of strength to look over what you don't like and sell, 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 sell. sell. Maybe you have a health insurer stock, a pharmacy stock, an oil stock that's been straight up for days, as some of them have been. You should offer that stock up. Again, putting a limit order in that's nicely above where the stock closed the day before. And that's how you get out at a price better than you deserve. That's what you're always looking for. Remember, you want to sell into strength and buy into weakness, not the other way around. That's not the way it's done. Finally, when you get the inevitable intraday sell-off that I predicted in our morning meeting show at 10.20 when I speak with Jeff Marks for the Investing Club, you need to do some serious watching for when the tide starts going back out. Almost all this toxic got taken up at the opening went down because there was nothing grounding the move to begin with, just futures buy. But if you can find a stock that actually starts to go higher into the wave of selling, if that future buy ends, I gotta tell you something. That will be a winner. Today we had a textbook winner. All aboard! Walt Disney. When almost all the other stocks were in retreat from their highs, Disney stocks slowly, step-by-step, inch-by-inch, started to advance. Whenever you see that kind of action, you know that something special is happening. Because this is a stock that's able to defy the gravitational pull of the average after being cut in half over the last couple of years. Now, I know this is not a trading show. Far from it. I'm almost always railing against short-term traders. (laughs) It's almost impossible to pull off unless you're trading at a full-time job, and I'm not doing this show for full-time jobbers. But before I got the show, I did have 25 years of trading, and that's when I learned this simple rule. Look for stocks that can buck a strong future-selling trend. If they can withstand that kind of sell-off, that tsunami sell-off, there might be something special going on that you got to focus on. That's exactly what happened today with Disney. Disney stock could buck the trend and finish up almost 5% because a bunch of good things are finally going on there. First, CEO Bob Iger delivered a quarter that actually looked pretty bad on its face. In fact, the stock got hammered down three bucks on the headlines. But to be blunt about it, the people who were selling Disney were being morons. Disney does not have some sort of buffoon CEO at the helm. Auger's a seasoned veteran who's created a tremendous amount of value over the years. And if there's one thing he knows how to do... It's tell an electric story. So you need to wait for him to speak on the dark conference call before you take any stupid sell action. And those who didn't wait, they missed out on Fabulous Run, shame on you. What exactly did Auger say? Well, a bunch of things. He talked about better Disney Plus numbers, including some price increases, the possibilities of strategic initiatives to get rid of the pain of linear television's decline and future fall. <sighs> Filled up the cruise ships, best of all. The balance sheet the balance sheet. It's all no in tatters. There's some optionality. Not long ago, I felt that Disney was cornered far from it. The stock started rallying as the call went on, largely I believe because Iger knows what the heck he's doing. He was actually pretty funny, by the way, as the Q&A went on. I know owning this stock has not been fun at all. A house of pain. Some might have found it hard to take the humor. I, on the other hand, found it reassuring. Many CEOs would be shaky. They'd be tense. They would even be brittle after such a hideous decline that this stock has had. Iger sounded in control. I think that's why the stock was able to mount a rally right into the teeth of the market-wide pullback in the first few hours of the day. Now, the sell-off was indeed like just a storm, which meant there was a huge amount of pressure on every stock. To be able to buck that storm pressure, there had to be a tremendous amount of buying power, a sign there will most likely be buyers at lower levels as Disney stock ever comes in again. I like that trampoline underneath. That almost always pretends good news from the analyst community. When they see this kind of action, they think to themselves, aha, the stock's saying finally the worst is over. I better upgrade from sell to hold or hold to buy before it takes up. Before it just, boom, without me. How do I know this? Because I've worked with analysts for years, and they're low to the call bottoms themselves. They like to wait until the market calls the bottom for them. That's what I believe happened with the stock at Disney today. But let's go back to that feeling of being picked off by the market's opening. When you see a huge up opening off a stupid, phony surprise, you've got to remember that doesn't change the prevailing trend of the market. Right now, the prevailing trend is to sell the big capitalization tax. That's still going on. And buy smaller stocks or industrials, with aerospace exposure particularly, or stocks of companies that right now do business in China, because the Chinese government's back allowing groups to take tours again. That's viewed as a sign that the worst might be over. I can't call a bottom in China. Much too phony. But the bottom line, I can tell you that when you see the tech's rally as part of a group move like we had at the opening, that's going to produce a route later in the day when the market changes direction. And then you use that route to spot brand new spanking winners. Winners like the stock of Walt Disney. Paul in New Jersey. Paul. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Oh, Jimmy Chill is fine. Don't like the weather. What's happening with you?
3: That's awesome. Three-time caller and a very happy club member.
2: Yes. That's what I want.
3: Yeah, I just want to thank you and your staff. I've learned so much from the club. It's definitely making me a much better investor, and I really appreciate oh, it. Oh,
2: thank you, man. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: That's what we want. That's why we do it. Awesome. All right, the past couple of nights, you've been talking about pipeline companies. Now, I have a small holding in, in uh, Kinder Morgan. I've had it for a while. I'm in the green. It pays a nice shield, but it's kind of stuck. Uh, it is well, stuck. It, or should it, I bail and hit the, hit the endridge?
2: Well, it's candidly, it's not one of my favorites. I had one oak on the other night. I thought that was a better stock. And I've got to tell you, I think Enbridge is a better stock. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I am going to say it. Energy transfer. Yes, E.T., phone home, is a better stock than Kendra Morgan. Sally in New Hampshire. Sally.
0: Hey, Uh, Jim. Boeing's been around for a long time. When are they going to reinstate their dividends?
2: Well, Boeing is safe. Boeing is good. Kramer doesn't own Boeing for his travel trust and feels awful. Got Cal when it just stayed down for so long. That was a mistake. But the very, a very nice club member earlier, Paul, said he's thrilled with what we do in teaching. Here's some teaching. I blew out of Boeing too early and swapped into other aerospace plays. All right, listen to me. I can tell you that when you see the text rally as part of a group move like they had at the opening, that could probably produce a route. But in that route, what you can do is find winners. And the winner is the Walt Disney Corporation. We money tonight. We know this FTC is kind of mergers. But I spotted one that matched get approved and I think it present a buying opportunity that nobody really likes. I'll reveal what it is. Then the ESPN Penn Entertainment deal sent shares of draft sharply lower. So are investors getting a buying opportunity in the online sportsbook or will Disney and Penn Entertainment annihilate them. I'll give you my sense of the situation. And Ralph Lauren's stock pulled back after earnings. So our investors finally getting a chance to buy the Apparel Powerhouse, which has been doing so well. I'm going to dig into the story with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't
4: miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
2: I spent a lot of time talking about the mergers that have been blocked by the Biden administration, which has taken an insanely tough line on antitrust enforcement, especially the FTC. But tonight I want to highlight a deal that actually managed to get approved. The big defense contractor, L3 Harris, got permission to buy, 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 buy. Aerojet Rocketdyne for $4.7 billion. Now, this deal was announced last December marking the end of a twisting saga for the storied Aerojet rocket which makes propulsion systems mainly for the Pentagon, NASA, and key U.S. allies. Way back in 2020, this company originally agreed to be acquired by Lockheed Martin for $4.4 billion. But the deal was challenged by other defense contractors, Raytheon and others, On antitrust grounds, the government was receptive because Aerojet Rocketdyne is the only large independent producer of engines for rockets and missiles in this country. When the FTC sued to block the deal in early 2022, Lockheed saw the writing on the wall, immediately threw in the towel. So you can imagine Wall Street's attitude when L3 Harris tried to buy the same darn company less than a year later. We know there were multiple rounds of requests for information from the FTC, along with outside pressure from Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, who very much wanted to shoot this merger down. Ironically, even Lockheed Martin, the last company that tried to buy Aerojet, objected to L3 Harris buying it on antitrust grounds. But unlike Lockheed, these guys had a strong argument the whole time for why their acquisition of Aerojet would not be any competitive. Very simply, there's just no overlap. Aerojet Rocketdyne makes rocket engines. L3 Harris doesn't. They don't even do business with each other. And that's a lot more than Lockheed could say as they're Aerojet's largest customer. Ultimately, the regulators allowed the deal to happen because even Lena Khan's Federal Trade Commission needs at least a patina of an excuse if it's going to take action. And in this case, they didn't even have a fig leaf. Two days later, July 28th, the transaction goes through. Now I bring up all this history because it sure seems like it would have been a gigantic win for L3 Harris, a company that I've liked ever since it was created by the merger of the old L3 Technologies, which I also liked for a long, long time, and Harris Corporation. This company made no secret of its desire to challenge the big five defense contractors, and that's Lockheed, Raytheon, RTX as they're known now, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and General Dynamics. L3 Harris makes all sorts of electronics communications equipment, all high-tech stuff. Think integrated mission systems, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, space, avionics, electric warfare precision engagement sensors and drones, the Aerojet Rocketdyne purchase gives them a growth engine with exposure to areas that have gotten a huge boost from the war in Ukraine, like javel missiles. Look, I think it's a big positive. Boy, the stock sure doesn't agree with me. It doesn't trade that way at all. In fact, the day after we learned the FTC wouldn't block the deal, L3Harris saw its stock fall more than 6%, although some of that's earnings-related. This is just the latest leg down for a stock that's been trading steadily lower since the spring of 2022, when it peaked not long after Russia invaded Ukraine. What's going on here? All right, why don't we start with the longer-term underperformance? I think L3Harris has seen its stock lag behind the defense group because it lacks highly visible contributions to the war in Ukraine. There's still lots of their technology on the battlefield, especially high-tech radios and anti-drone rocket systems. But for the most part, L3Harris makes products that operate behind the scenes. You don't see them. Communications equipment, electronic warfare, avionics. It's just not as visible or dramatic as shoulder-mounted missile launchers or even drones. The addition of Aerojet Rocketdyne changes that. Their solid rocket motors are used in the javelins, stingers, and guided missile launch rocket systems weapons, that get so much press. In fact, in April, the Pentagon invested $216 million to expand and modernize Aerojet Rocketdyne's manufacturing facilities, precisely because they want to boost production of critical components for extremely necessary missile systems. However, before the deal closed, when we didn't know whether it would go through, I think it weighed heavily on l 3 Harris's stock. Wall Street saw this deal as a distraction, especially because there was a serious doubt the FTC would ever let it go through. Not this FTC, right? In fact, on the day after the acquisition was it, was announced this December, two analysts downgraded L3Harris from buy to hold, and the stock doubled nearly 4%. This has been a real underperformer. So many of the things that held this stock back got resolved the moment the deal went through. That said, the more recent sell-off in L3Harris has to do with its latest earnings report. Which came out the same day that Aerojet merger got the FTC blessing. The stock fell a hideous 6% on the news. But I gotta tell you, I don't think the quarter was all that bad. L3 Harris delivered a red and earnings beat with management also raising a full year forecast. We like that so far, right? Clean beat and raise. Unfortunately, they raised their revenue forecast by more than they raised their earnings forecast. Raised revenue more than they raised earnings. What does that mean? It implies that the margins are going to be lower than expected. Wall Street hates margins going down. Now, personally, I don't mind weaker margins if they're accompanied by really stronger earnings. Plus, management has previously said that they expect their profitability to improve throughout the year as, as they get past some lingering supply chain issues. I believe them. So here's how I see it. L3 Harris has been a good, solid defense contractor ever since the old L3 merged with the old Harris roughly four years ago. And I met management, I really like him. I like what's going on. For most of the time, it was a terrific stock to own. But when the defense stocks roared last year, L3 Harris got left behind, largely because it doesn't have any standout weapon systems that make it an obvious way to play the war in Ukraine. The Aerojet rocket deal, it changes that. While the stock sold off from the initial news of the acquisition, that's only because money managers assumed the transaction would get blocked. When the FTC let it happen without a legal challenge, that was good news for all three Harris, even as the stock hasn't traded that way. See, what's happening? I think you're getting a chance to buy a high-quality company at a nice discount to its average valuation. Think about this. Over the past four years, L3Harris has sold, and remember, we always like to look for price earnings multiples. This sold for 17 times earnings on average, but now it sells for just 15 times earnings. That's a bargain. Meanwhile, even without Aerojet Rocketdyne, they're putting up some solid numbers. But the bottom line here in this very strange story about a company I really like, with the addition of Aerojet Rocketdyne, L3 Harris now has a powerful growth engine that's involved in some of the hottest areas of the defense space, like modern missile systems that are vital to the war in Ukraine. That's why I see a lot to like here in this, and why I'd be a buyer of L3 Harris right here. The market's making a mistake, in my opinion. And that's your opportunity, because in the longer term, it will become quite obvious that this stock is just way too cheap versus the rest of the defense group. That money is back after the break.
4: Coming up, the competition in the betting space has gotten a lot fiercer this week. Can DraftKings keep up with the cohort's new juggernaut? Stay
1: tuned. You seek the key.
2: days ago, Penn Entertainment, the big gambling company, announced the termination of its long-standing partnership with Barstool Sports, and then gave you a new collaboration with Disney's ESPN. They're even rebranding their digital sports book as ESPN Bet. Penn's paying a lot to Disney to make this happen, but Wall Street clearly thinks that it's worth it, given that Penn's shares shot up 9% yesterday. Now, last night, I got a chance to speak with Penn's CEO, Jay Snowden, and while I'm not sure how this will play out for his company. I do think it's great news for Disney. Another reason why I feel strongly about the stock as I said at the top of the show. Tonight though, I want to talk about the pen action from this partnership. The moment we learned Penn was joining forces with ESPN, the stock of DraftKings, so it's formerly red hot equity get put through the meat grinder. <laughs> It's pulled back from 31 and change to 27 and change like that in an instant, which is substantial. OK, I know the stock was trading 11 at the end of the year, but this thing's been a rocket ship. And now the rocket ship has just crumbled. And I think that's ridiculous. Don't forget, what Jeff James reported a week ago, they didn't give us a good quarter. They gave us a spectacular quarter. Phenomenal. And this is the stock surged 15 percent on the news, although it got dragged down by the ugly table on Friday, finishing the day just up 6 percent. But this is a tremendous story. In each of the first three weeks of this week, days of, I'm sorry, in each of the first three days of this week, we've woken up to an analyst upgrading draft kicks. The stock tried and failed to rally response on Monday and Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, after the Penn Entertainment ESPN news, the stock simply got clobbered. No one could take it. Down nearly 11% in a single session. We're losing another 1.8% today. People just think this thing's terrible now. I don't think that way. I think it's a buying opportunity. Let me tell you why. First, we know how DraftKings is doing. See, they just reported a stunning quarter. And now you're getting those numbers not just for free, but for a big discount while they are headed right into their sweet spot, which is the NFL season, the betting season. While their monthly unique payers, basically active users, came in even with expectations of 44% year-over-year, their average revenue per monthly unique payer was much stronger than anticipated, up 33% year-over-year. That's my favorite metric now, the combination of 44% user growth and 33% average. Average revenue per user put 8 gave you a monster good wow. revenue beat They actually had record quarterly sales, which is impressive because usually it's the fourth quarter. That's the one that's unparalleled because that's they got the whole football season. This one didn't really have anything like that. In the end, DraftKings, saw its revenue growth accelerate from 84% in the previous quarter to 88% this time. Look at those numbers. They're amazing. It's incredible. And you know why? Because they've got the best app. That is the end. In the end, this is a technology business. And it's incredibly easy to use website. that keeps bringing people back. And it's fun. On top of that, DraftKings raised its full year forecast yet again and gave us great guidance on the all-important fourth quarter, too. But you know what? Those magnificent revenue numbers weren't even the best part of the story. Like every other well-run growth company, DraftKings has spent the bulk of the last year pivoting toward profitability. Late last year, management said they'd be turning a profit for the fourth quarter of this year. Unfortunately, they paired that prediction with ugly earnings for interest, tax depreciation, and amortization outlook. Over the course of the year, though, DraftKings has reported increasingly strong what's known as EBITDA numbers. They just gave you the abbreviation for that, earnings. Last week, they, we even learned that they had an EBITDA profit. That's, and that really is the way to look at it, EBITDA, of $73 million for the second quarter. Analysts were looking for $21 million. They did $73 million. Yep, they delivered their first quarter of adjusted profitability six months ahead of schedule. Magic also raised their full-year EBITDA forecast for the third quarter in a row. Remember, that is the key profit metric that we're looking for. And that's why the stock initially surged in response to last week's earnings report. Since then, we've seen a lot of profit-taking that only got more aggressive when we learned that Penn Entertainment is joining forces with Disney, which people think is going to destroy DraftKings. Come on! DraftKings sold off especially hard because they have their own partnership with ESPN. I guess some people assume that relationships now in peril, even as I think DraftKings is in the catbird. Let me tell you why. I don't mean to be dismissive, but let me tell you why I am not worried. About what could be an unraveling of the deal is see, the DraftKings ESPN partnership is actually a marketing deal where DraftKings has the semi-exclusive ability to advertise on ESPN's programs and website. But it goes both ways because DraftKings is also committed to spending a certain amount of its advertising budget on ESPN. It's not actually clear whether the deal is even working out that well for them. In fact, I'd argue that their marketing deal with ESPN is a distinct negative for DraftKings that doesn't bring in the customers that they were expected. They made this deal in 2020 when their focus was on generating revenue growth at all costs. Now the goalposts have shifted, and the company needs to deliver profitability first. Even if Disney decides somehow that they went out, and out of the deal, I'm not convinced it would be a negative catalyst for DraftKings. It would just be another reason to buy. And I think it actually would be good if, if, if DraftKings could pull out of it. In fact, one of the smartest reactions I've seen to this week's online gambling news came from a fellow by the name of Carlo Santarelli. I don't know It means at Deutsche Bank. He flat out argues that Penn-ESPN tie-up could be actually good news for DraftKings because it means they can get out of that, that ESPN contract. Deutsche Bank describes that deal as a, quote, absolute anchor, end quote. They simply don't need to spend so much money acquiring new customers. They have other ways to do it that are better and cheaper the whole Penn Barstool ESPN episode makes me want to take a step back and look at where the sports gambling industry is as a whole. And when you think about how things are playing out, it's clear there are very few major winners in this space. Actually, there's really two. FanDuel, which is owned by Flutter Entertainment PLC, whose shares are listed overseas. And DraftKings, that's it. Duopoly. When you look at the market share data, FanDuel's in a strong first place, okay, uh, in in most mature markets. DraftKings is a solid second place. Nobody else coming near. Yeah, it would be great. I like Penn. I mean, maybe Penn can go up in the ladder, but DraftKings is really very far ahead. Now, Penn does seem confident that their new ESPN partnership will help them grow market share. Maybe we will, maybe we will But DraftKings already has tremendous market share. They don't have a problem bringing in new people right now. What they care about is monetizing those people effectively, and they're very good at that. Last week we learned they're making huge progress on the profitability front, while many states have just warmed to gambling, and more than a dozen still don't allow it. Bottom line, when DraftKings is pulling back nearly 20% from its post-earnings high, after an amazing quarter, you're you're not only getting their staggeringly positive second quarter for free, You're also getting the stock for an extra discount over this Penn ESPN tie-up that doesn't hurt them in any way that I can see. Any way you slice it, I like DraftKings, and I think you're getting an incredible buying opportunity in the stock after the company's got religion and is making a ton of money. Mark in New York, Mark. Hey, Jim, I want to
1: give you a Levy family booyah.
2: I like that. I like a familiar booyah. It's always paid off on our show.
1: What's up? So my site I want to ask you about today is Roblox. Right yeah. after reporting earnings yesterday, it got hit pretty hard. I know recently they had cha- uh, Chain Smokers concerts experience inside Roblox, and last month they released Roblox Open Beta for the Meta right. Quest Two headset. Could this be uh, an immersive metaverse experience All that right. Meta I- was hoping for?
2: I'm going to say this to David Bazuki because I know he watches the show and he's an incredibly good guy. Start making money. I'm not recommending stocks of companies that are losing so much money. Make money, I recommend. Don't make money. Sell, sell, sell. I like draft kicks, and they're, I think, giving you an incredible opportunity because they're making money now. Much more made of money, including my exclusive with Ralph Ward. After declining to raise full year guidance, is the company practicing what I call UPOD, under promising and over delivering? Let's dig in with the company's top brass. Then investors are sick of hearing laser focus, but there's one use of the term that I actually find enticing. I'll reveal what it is and how it can help you make some money. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Craig. happened to the stock of ralph lauren unlike the rest of the apparel stocks this one's been doing very well for 2023 at least until it started pulling back and today we found out why i guess this morning, Ralph Lauren reported a quarter that Wall Street was unsure of, with the stock finishing the session down, I say weirdly, 5%. While the headline numbers were solid, inline revenue paired with a nice earnings beat, the guidance for the quarter some thought was soft, and management declined to raise their full-year forecast. Plus, the North American sales came in weaker than expected. I say that compared to the rest of the apparel space, including the two that merged today, Capri and Tapestry, these numbers were pretty darn good. Uh, e- even great comparisons. But apparently the market disagrees with me. That's okay. Then again, I think a great deal of the pullback has to do simply with investors looking for any excuse to ring the register uh, because there have been such good gains here. So has the stock come down enough to make it enticing? Let's check in with Patrice LeVay. He's the president and CEO of Ralph Lauren to get a better sense of the quarter and what comes next. Patrice LeVay, it is an honor to have you down here on the New York Stock Exchange. Jim, great to be here. Thank you, Patrice. Now, I think a lot of people don't understand the way apparel works. There are certain iconic brands that when their stocks go down, it gives you an opportunity because there are things like av- average unit retail that we can look at. Mm-hmm. We can look at quiet luxury. We, we can look out, drive the forecast, expand for more. These are not just slogans at your place. Right. This is real stuff and it works for time for many, many years. So I want you to
3: explain to us why you think this is not a bad time at all to own Ralph Lauren. Absolutely. Well, listen, wonderful to be here. We were really pleased to come in ahead of our commitments, both on the top and bottom line. And what I think you'll agree with me is still a relatively volatile environment. Unfortunately, right? yes. But what we're seeing is our strategy of elevation, both elevating the product, elevating the consumer experience, elevating the storytelling, continuing to play out. And you mentioned it, our AUR is up 15% this quarter. We've been raising AUR now for several years. The consumer is seeing the value or value perception has never been this high. Consumers telling us that our luxury perception is the highest it's ever been. And I think the combination of this iconic brand that we have that's very differentiated from many other brands that you have in the industry and the diversity of our growth drivers positions us really nicely both this year and for the long term.
2: Well, I don't want to be too anecdotal because you and I are empirical thinkers, but uh, Jennifer Lopez, Taylor Swift, Joe Biden at the Coronation. These are people. You did not pay Taylor Swift to wear Ralph Lauren. That's absolutely right. I mean, that's absolutely right. And yet there she is. You did not pay Jill Biden to wear her Ralph absolutely Lauren. Absolutely
3: not. Well, isn't that, that the natural would... tell that I should be looking for when it comes to luxury? I think it's all about desirability in this space. Right. right. That is the key operating word in the industry. And I think as you look at the people that I actually want to wear us, Beyonce opening her Washington, D.C., turn, uh, concert, wanted to wear Ralph Lauren. So we are appealing to a very broad range of individuals and consumers. And what's very exciting is, you know, we go all the way from that newborn all the way to the silent generation. And to your point, we're seeing people from all generations wanting to wear Ralph Lauren.
2: OK, so then we have to say, well, Wall Street did not like North America. Uh, I question Wall Street on this because the fact is, is that your inventories are lean, which means you have pricing power. It is obvious that you can raise price but not necessarily because you're trying to keep up with inflation, but because people like the brand so much. But what am I missing that Wall Street thought was wanting with that North American number?
3: I think uh, obviously the uh, the guidance we provided for Q2, which was conservative- it was conservative. Is, is uh, you know, I think was slightly below what people had expected. Yeah. Frankly, I think it's important to look beyond one quarter. There is there's a lot of volatility right now. There's right. a lot of uncertainty across the channels. What we feel really good about is Our core consumer, which is, you know, is a more elevated consumer, is resilient. They're looking sharp. We're bringing in new consumers that are younger, higher value consumers. So that positions us really well moving forward. Our product strategy that's driving both the core and expanding for more is resonating. What's actually really interesting right now, if you look at consumer behavior in the US and around the world, you mentioned quiet luxury. Yes, Consumers are moving back to quality, timeless style, listen you know this company very well those are key words that really represent what ralph has built for the past 56 years right? right consumers are also shifting their wardrobe away from the COVID times right you're wearing a tie today right to more sophisticated casual chinos oxford shirts dresses right. suit separates that's at the very heart of what ralph Lauren stands for so i think we're really well positioned in this volatile environment. And what it
2: tells me, I look at new measures, and I think our viewers should look at them. I look at, say, impressions, number right. of people look at impressions. Right. Why? Because that's can't be tricked. That's genuine. You mentioned Beyonce. How many people saw her? So J- J-Lo, J-Lo, J.Lo was the J-Lo, number one mention.
3: mentioned, 8 billion, 8 billion impressions.
2: Now, 8 billion, again, that is how, uh, what does that translate for sales in your estimation?
3: Or is it just mindset? Uh, I think it's it's difficult to link it directly right, back but, to sales, but, but the combination guys- of the brand visibility like right, that, right? Because that's just one example, right? Yes, we had Ariana Grande, right? Wimbledon, she has more than three hundred, I think twenty million followers. She wore Ralph Lauren, David Beckham. So the the combination, actually, all our marketing activities cool. coming together drive desirability, drive brand visibility, and drive you know the interest that we're seeing around the world. Okay, so let's talk about around
2: the world. Your European numbers were extraordinarily strong. People have gotten used to Europe not doing well for anybody, but the numbers that you had demonstrate that there is, I don't want to call it a boom, but a much stronger consumer than people think.
3: Yeah, Europe's been good for us for several quarters now in the context that's pretty challenging, right? The war, consumer sentiment, inflation. I'm really proud of the work our European teams are doing, they're really bringing our core strategy to life. I was just there actually, I was in both London, uh, Manchester, Munich and Berlin. So I got to see in action, the work they're doing on the consumer, the engagement at Wimbledon was a wonderful showcase for the brand, the work they're doing on product and the fact that they're really showcasing what consumers are looking for today, which I mentioned earlier, is this core sets of products elevated positioning. And then the work we're doing in stores, we have an amazing presentation in our Munich store that we just relaunched. We have yes. a new presentation, a home in KDV in Berlin that looks stunning. The combination of these three factors is driving the strength. Well, of the and
2: market. you did not go to the world of Ralph
3: Lauren stores, which sound very exciting, one in Amsterdam. Absolutely. We and- opened one in Amsterdam. You're absolutely right. We're, you know, one of the key strategies for us from a go-to-market standpoint is a focus on key cities, top 30 cities in the world, right. and to drive towards DTC. So we can have that direct relationship with the consumer. And you are seeing us open stores in Amsterdam, in Singapore, across Asia, and even here in the U.S. I I think you're understored, Patrice, in our country. We are, Jim, you're absolutely right. We have historically been overpenetrated more on the East Coast and Southeast the West remains a big white space for us. Actually, one of the biggest white space I think this company has. So significant growth potential here in our home well, market. Lastly, I want to mention yeah,
2: under you six years, seventy percent average a, a unit retail. I mean, no one really has that record during a very inconsistent period. So you think if you can continue that pace, the
3: stock deserves to be much higher. I'm happy to hear you say that. Well,
2: I can't... You know,
3: here's the the strategy. The strategy is we want to reposition Ralph Lauren back to its luxury roots. Yes. Ralph was telling me a few months ago that when he launched his first tie, Right. He launched it as a very premium proposition, two and a half times the price of a Christian Dior tie. Okay, so our roots are luxury. Our focus now is to reposition the company to be closer to the European luxury players. Part of that is continuous elevation on product, on storytelling, on in-store, right. and that enables us to drive value perception, which enables us to drive AUR. Well, look, we saw
2: a merger today of two companies that I, I think both wish they had your book of business, Capri and Tapestry. To me, you've got the consistent one. That's what I like. I like great brands. Ralph Lauren, great brand. Chris Levesque, great manager. RL is down too much. I just said it. I'm willing to take the pain if I'm wrong, but I don't think I will be. Their money's back in the brain. Coming
4: up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the Thunderous Lightning Round.
1: Next.
2: It is time! for the Lightning Round. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, talk to the Lightning Round. Steven in Illinois. Steven!
1: Hey, Jimmy, what's
2: up? Not much, you tell me, Steve.
1: So I'm calling on Public Storage. They issued uh, $2.2 billion in senior notes for the purchase of Simply Storage from Blackstone. To yeah, and I like that, and I
2: think with the 4% yield, this is the right level to buy public storage, I'm going to have to say. Now I'm going to Steve in New York. Steve! Ba 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 Jim! Steve. Okay. Good to have you on the show again.
1: What's up? Club member here who wanted to touch base with you about this provider of maintenance services for power plants and refineries. This company reported earnings on the
2: 7th and it beat analyst expectations on both earnings and sales. The stock seems to be responding well to the report and I would like to hear your thoughts on PRIM,
1: Primrose Services Corporation.
2: I don't know it. I know Jacobs. I've been liking that stock. I got to do work for you. Steve gets some work to be done by Mad Money Team. Bennett in Florida. Bennett! Jim, appreciate you taking the call. Oh, thank you. What's up, Bennett?
1: So, uh, I got in the ring stuff for around $60. Uh, I know it's a bit of a mess right now. I just wondered if there's any upside left. Uh,
2: you know what? And I saw I saw Vlad Shmounis is going to step upstairs, executive chair. Uh, I'm not a fan. It, it, but Look, there's just too, it's very crowded. It's too crowded, too commoditized. I'm going to have to say no. I'm sorry. Now I'm going to go to Jack in New, in New Jersey. Jack. Hey, Jim, what's going on, buddy? Ah, not bad hey. with you. Pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Jim, listen, we're the three most popular AI games, uh, most popular selling AI games in the world right now. And the fact that uh, Activision the uh, merger was just approved. Do you think, uh, number one, uh, is net uh, going higher? And number two, is going to be in play for a merger? Well, look, i got to tell you, the only Chinese stock I recommend on the show is Alibaba, and I'm not that keen on owning Chinese stocks. I do think, by the way, that Take-Two Interactive had a terrific quarter. Uh, Strauss-Elbeck gave that to you, and the stock's been down ever since, and that's probably a mistake. John in Minnesota. John. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Hey, I got a question on uh, SMG, Scott's miracle goal. I see it's been down over the last couple of years. It's got a yield of 5%. Yeah, it does. You know what? I think that here's the problem. They have got to try to fix the notion of being way too dependent upon the gardener. Okay? They have to try to find something else. And I got to tell you, the weather's been bad on the weekends. People aren't using, spraying the extra stuff. It's just too dicey a stock for me. And 5% yield's not enough to entice me. Alex in Florida, Alex. Jimmy Chill, first time, long time. Oh, there Anything you go. Like oh, that's that. what I want. What's going on? All right, Jim. So the
4: company I'm calling about has had five quarters of consecutive EPS beats over estimates, double-digit year-over-year revenue growth. On their last earnings call, they increased guidance to double-digit same-store sales growth. They mm-hmm. increased their revenue, and they've got agreements in place so they're not overly reliant on the spot price of chicken wings. But the stock is 27% below its May high of $223 a share. I think that's too cheap, Jim. But tell me, what am I doing with Wingstop?
2: Oh, Wingstop, man, I love Wingstop. Bye bye bye. Let's go to Connor, New Hampshire. Connor! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, hey, Connor, thank what's you happening? Not so much to take in my call. Not too much. Hey, so I know you like Adobe. Um, you bet. But with Maya Suite and generative AI, I like Adobe too. But I believe Autodesk um, is well positioned. Chief, I'm with you. Connor's right. Autodesk yes. is. Now, Adobe is one of my faves, but I have left out Autodesk, and that's a mistake. NVIDIA, let's remember what Larry Williams said. It's going to go lower. We're not going to give up. We just accept the fact that stocks that go up 200% come down a little. I gave him a for. I gave him Autodesk. I threw him a a threefer. Autodesk, Adobe, and NVIDIA. Let's go to Mark in Texas. Mark.
3: Hey, Jim. How are you today? I really enjoy y'all's show. I've been watching this since I've been uh, retired. Uh, I bought, the Pioneer, two... go, what? I bought Pioneer? the Pioneer 2. I bought Pioneer 2.05.
2: No, then I love you, man. 2.05. Oh we bought something there with, with Travel Trust as a big position. Pioneer, it is going higher. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM EverTrade. Coming up, why a Kellogg's breakup may lead to a breakout at the breakfast table. Don't skip the most important meal of the day when we return.
2: Almost every CEO loves to say they're laser focused on this brain or that mission or this idea. Laser focused. It's the mother of all cliches. Our eyes pretty much glaze over when we hear it because we hear it so often. But there's one time I'm willing to buy into the laser-focused idea, and that's when a company decides to break itself up into different, more focused, independent entities. It tends to work, even when we least expect it, which is why I actually like this Kellogg deal we talked about last night, where Kellogg's being divided into W.K. Kellogg, a cereal company, and Kellanova, a snack food business. Now, not everyone's a fan. I mean, the Wall Street Journal panned the breakup. They're particularly disparaging the cereal business. It doesn't have a lot of growth. But I come back and I say, hey, wait a second, maybe the cereal division doesn't have much growth because Kellogg's had to focus on two very different businesses at once. You don't find snacks in the cereal aisle and you don't eat snack food for breakfast, or you shouldn't. Kellogg has big famous brands, Special K, Fruit Loops, Cheez-Its, Pringles, Corn Flakes, and I think they might be worth a lot more when pulled apart in two separate companies. Now, I know it's hard to believe the companies can create value simply by breaking themselves off, but you know what? We've seen it happen so many times before, quite simply, when I don't believe in the laser is when I get it wrong. Classic example, the merger breakup of the old United Technologies and Raytheon. When they got together, United Technologies spun off these two really boring companies, air conditioning and elevator. That's uh, Carrier and Otis, two-story brands that nobody really wanted anything to do with because the growth rates seemed to have stalled or slowed or nothing, just like Kellogg's cereal right now. As I used to say at the dot-com, wrong. Otis, under the leadership of CEO Judy Marks, has become a, a totally different, nice, growing elevator company. The numbers have been terrific. The growth is no longer episodic because they make so much money off the services side. In fact, despite what you hear about the overbuilding of office towers and work from home, Otis has continued to deliver excellent, excellent numbers. Since the breakup, the stock's up more than 85% over a period with the SP's rallying 79%. Uh, everybody thought it was going to be a double and it was spun off. Instead, it's been an outperformer. But you know what's even more impressive? The heating, ventilation, and air conditioning HVAC company that is Carrier. CEO Dave Gitlin has re-energized a business that really got no love at all under the umbrella of United Technologies because United Technologies was laser focused on aerospace, not anything else. Now, get this. Since the breakup, carrier stock has rallied 227 percent, clobbering the S&P. When GE broke up itself up, you got similar sets of gains. Core General Electric, largely an aerospace company now, spun out its GE Healthcare division, which sells heavy-duty medical equipment. GE's given you a 62% return since then, GE Healthcare nearly 20%, S&P about 16%. We're so blind to the darn strength of these shrink-to-growth stories that we overlook them even when they're staring us right in the face. Hey, remember when Exelon, the boring giant utility spun off its nuclear power business, Constellation Energy? They didn't want the controversial nukes under the same roof as their traditional electric utility business. I get that. The result: while Exelon's pretty much performed in line with the other utilities, Constellation Energy stock has nearly doubled, doubled, and it's crushing the S&P. Just a whole different ballgame. I mentioned these three breakups because they seem as unlikely to make you money as that W.K. Kellogg and Kelanova do. There were lots of moans and groans when those spinoffs were announced, just like this one. But the managers of these companies, all of whom I know, proved to be good to their word. They were indeed and are laser-focused on their smaller businesses. So the breakups have been huge wins for all involved. Now, I bet, actually, that the same thing is going to happen with the pieces of the old Kellogg, too. I like to say there's always bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on make Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you next time. Last call starts now.
0: its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer.
4: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family
0: vacation. Janet!